Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Hopefully you guys have been digging out on all the episodes that we've been putting out for you guys since we're all in sweatpants nation. I figure <laughs> let's just let's just pump out as many episodes as possible and keep you all in your sweatpants kind of happy and stuck to your, your radios. No, not your radios, your phones, your iPhones, your computers. Phones, computers, earbuds, tablets, earbuds, whatever you listen uh, to. Over ears, whatever, whatever, whatever you guys listen to. <laughs> I don't know, young kids. Hey, I still have an Amanda, What do I and, know? Uh, <laughs> I'm actually not in sweatpants right now. I'm in yoga pants, but it's the same, right? I know, One and I'm same. in jeans. Like, <laughs> is, I feel like I just lied to everybody. Although, you know what? I actually legitimately said to my kids tonight, um, I think tomorrow we'll get dressed, guys. <laughs> no, man. Um, Day so, pajamas, night pajamas. As long as you have an elastic waist, I think you're, I think you're good. <laughs> I think you're good. Well, tonight we have a guest on the phone, of course, because we're recording from our bedroom as per usual lately. And uh, his name is Reza and he was, he is, not was, he is the owner of Massage Experts in Vaughn. Dun, dun, dun. And him and I initially met when he came to one of our free education and networking events in, oh, what month are we in? When did you come see us, Reza? Was, was that February? February? The end of February. So in February we met and initially I had said to him, why don't you come on the podcast? Because it'd be interesting to talk to somebody who owns a massage, a massage therapy clinic, a franchise like this, and is not a therapist. Plus Reza also practices um, hypnosis, which I thought was really freaking cool. So that was our original intent when we started to talk. And then, you know, the world exploded and this pandemic came over all of us and we were all forced to close our doors. So um, we had to unfortunately cancel our meeting. And the first time I contacted Reza post pandemic, um, he wasn't doing so well. How are you doing tonight? Yeah, I'm, I'm much better. Much yeah, better. It's <laughs> good yeah. to hear. <laughs> when Amanda says you weren't well, what were you then? Because I don't know. Did you ex- actually, mm-hmm. you know what? I'm, I'll let you introduce yourself first, but um, actually, no, I'll let you introduce yourself second. First, can you, yeah, can you tell Mark what state of mind you were in you when I called you that afternoon? You calm and put together right now. So sure. I'm trying to picture yeah. this something else. Okay, yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And uh, yeah, um, I can't imagine all this happened uh, since uh, February. I can't imagine. Yeah, when uh, Amanda called me, I was in a very bad situation. I had to close the clinic and I had I was like, struggling with uh, paying the payrolls. But right now I'm um, better because I've managed uh, paying the payrolls. The only concern I have is just the landlord because um, I have I, I have difficulty in, in terms of paying rent. So, yeah, my name is Reza and I'm a clinic owner. And actually, I was a clinic owner. I'm not sure if I can open the clinic again, honestly. And I'm also a hypnotherapist. And uh, yeah, what else do you want to me to know? Whoa, whoa, whoa! That was a lot. <laughs> <laughs> that was such. That was like not a lot said, but there was so much said. I know. There's so many, so many avenues we can go down. Where do you even want to start? I want to start being a clinic owner. Well, maybe was, maybe is, maybe isn't. Doesn't quite know. I want yeah. to know this. Yeah, I, I definitely want to start there as well because. You're not a massage therapist, so let's start with what you were doing prior to being the owner of Massage Experts in Vaughan. What was your career? Were you practicing as a hypnotherapist? Uh, yes, exactly. By profession, I used to be uh, a family physician back home in Iran, and I came to Canada in uh, 2013, and I came uh, to Ontario from Vancouver in 2019, and I took over uh, Massage Experts Vaughan, uh, okay. resale franchisee. So. What made you decide, 
I'm going to buy a massage clinic. Sure. I'm going to I'm going to open up a massage clinic. Why why was that a part of your business plan? Yeah, actually I had uh, some experiences in insurance because I was working as a claim examiner in an insurance company, so I had a very good uh, insight to, uh, toward insurance. And I think massage therapy <laughs> Is 90% based on insurance. That's why I chose uh, massage as an industry. Okay, so this seemed like a good a good investment for you, a good money-making business Was for that you. why you moved from BC to Ontario? Exactly, ah, yeah. Okay. I was uh, looking for a good franchisee resale, and I found this. That's why I moved from Vancouver to uh, Maple, actually, which is a close uh, town to Vaughan, Ontario. Okay, so you moved to Maple to take over this franchise, Massage Experts. And I'm sorry, what year was that you said? 2000? Uh, it was 2019. It was a year ago. Okay, so only a year you've been the yes. owner of this clinic. How was it operating a massage clinic? Was it exactly as you thought it would be? Or was this something that you were completely unprepared for? That was lovely. Um, massage is a great business, I would say. But the only thing is the margin is very narrow. So the nature of this business is the sales is very high, like a medium-sized massage clinic like uh, my clinic has an average sales of, let's say, $60,000 per month. Mm-hmm. Um, and the overhead expenses is around fifty to $55,000. So it's a great business in terms of revenue, and um, but the profit margin is very narrow. And the art is just to make it profitable with playing with expenses. Back to your question, yes, it's an amazing business and I was enjoying every single minute of last year managing the business. (laughs) Yeah, 2020 sucks. (laughs) Yeah. And then COVID-19 stepped in. Yeah. Okay. So (laughs) the business was going well for you then? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it was not a new business because I took over the business while the business was three years old. So it right. has passed the break-even point. So when I took over the clinic, the clinic was already uh, making profit. Mm, yeah. And what brought you to our free education and networking event? Because I know that the people that we market to, that we advertise to, are registered massage therapists. Was it one of your therapists Mostly, that introduced I mean, you to us? There's also a uh, Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I saw your ad, I think, on um, Massage uh, Therapy Magazine, and you had a networking event or something. So one of my massage therapists told me, yeah, maybe this networking is a, uh, event is a good idea for you. Oh, so she introduced okay. you to me. How'd you like it? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, it was great. Uh, and I love the pizza and wine. Uh, <laughs> uh, and great content uh, about con- concussion. Because, yeah, I was surprised by, I don't remember the name of the presenter, but the content about concussion was amazing. That was Connor. Yeah. He also has a podcast. So you might want to check that out at some time. Yeah. Yeah, the Concast. Concast. All right. So you're running this clinic for a year. And then, of course, this happens and we're all forced to shut down. And as we alluded to in the introduction, I reached out to you um when this all happened and you were you were really feeling the stress like i don't know what i'm going to do i don't know how i'm going to deal with this um but now you're in a better place before we get to why you know all the the entire roller coaster of emotions you went through i want to talk to you a little bit about hypnotherapy because you and i discussed it very sure. briefly at the networking event how does somebody mm-hmm. get into hypnotherapy what attracted you to that being that your background was a medical doctor um yeah by hypnosis or hypnotherapy i mean evidence based uh, hypnotherapy so what whatever i claim about hypnosis here i have an evidence uh, backup and if you want i can share that with you 
and that evidence can be a clinical trial or um, something in the literature which is evidence-based. So um, hypnosis is a great tool for medical purposes, and uh, there are different definitions about hypnosis. And one of the issues with hypnosis is there is no consensus about the definitions of hypnosis. And the definition, I would say, is the definition from the American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. And they define hypnosis as an state of uh, attentive concentration. And they define three components uh, to define a state of hypnosis. And those three components are concentration, dissociation, and suggestibility. So if someone is experiencing these three components, he or she is in hypnotic state. Okay, wait, sorry. Tell me those three components again. Uh, concentration. Concentration. Dissociation. Dissociation. Dissociation from the environment. Yeah. And suggestibility or suggestibility. the okay yeah suggestibility means the mm, susceptibility to get suggestions and absorb suggestions right as i mentioned to you at the networking event um prior to having my first child very, very late in my pregnancy, I learned about hypnobirthing. It was too mm-hmm. late for me to take the hypnobirthing classes. So I just kind of did some reading on Can my own. Can you tell me what hypnobirthing is? Like, I've heard you talk about this before. And I feel like I should know since... You were there? I was there. Yeah, but, okay. You know, <laughs> what do I know? I don't remember now. It was almost six years ago. I don't remember. But at the time, I remember reading and just understanding it as... Um, the basis of it was I was supposed to understand what exactly was happening in my body through all the different stages of labor and to be able to visualize it and to be inside my body and focusing on only that and focusing on being able to let the things happen that were supposed to be happening. So the muscles that were supposed to be relaxing at that time, let them relax at that time. And to be able to bring myself sort of outside of the pain and just focus internally on what was happening and uh, and work with my body rather than fighting it. So um, I, I somehow through doing as much reading as I could before mm-hmm. going into labor, I managed to actually use the techniques effectively, in my opinion. Um, there was even a point where, Mark, you said to me, I'm not sure if you were even here for for parts of it. I don't know if you remember. Again, it was I like remember. six years ago now. But <laughs> I was able to take myself out of the pain. Like, of course it hurt. Labor's supposed to hurt. But I think I dissociated from the fear of it. And I was just thinking about what's actually happening, what phase I'm in, and how to just work with my body and let these muscles relax. And again, I don't know if I was doing it correctly because I didn't get to take the classes. But whatever I did read on hypnotherapy made sense to me and it worked. And I felt like that labor and delivery went very smoothly. Did you feel like there was a component of suggestibility with what you were doing or no? Component of suggestibility. Yeah, for sure. Because again, this... I mean, labor is fucking painful. There's not a woman in the world who would argue me on that. It hurts. It hurts like hell. But I was able to take myself away from that and think about this is supposed to hurt, but this is why and this is what's happening. And I just kept focusing on this is where I am in this process and this is what's happening and this is why it hurts. And this is, you know, this is what I need to do in order for this to work better. And so I, I guess that's suggestibility. Like I was able to I don't know, take my mind off of, oh my God, this hurts. Let me, you know, squeeze things and tighten things and hold my breath. And I don't know. It was, it was very interesting. Amazing story. So you tell me, Reza, like, I mean, I, as I said, I didn't get to take the classes, but is part of hypnotherapy exactly what I'm describing? Being able to remove the, 
like being able to remove myself from, oh my God, this hurts and I'm scared, I'm in pain and whatever, to actually just focusing on what's happening and being able to sort of like join my body. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's how it felt to me. I'm like joining my body to do what I need to do to get this baby out as smoothly as possible. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it looks. You, yeah, you mentioned an amazing story, and I think um, you are highly hypnotizable. So you have experienced uh, a state of trance for sure. And the interesting thing is, people who are highly hypnotizable are categorized in two major categories. One category are uh, dissociative uh, hypnotizable people who experience uh, dissociation. So dissociation is the most prominent uh, feature of hypnosis. And the other group or the other category is imaginative. The imagination component of hypnosis is more prominent. So it looks like you are highly hypnotizable and you are dissociative type of uh, hyperhypnotizable client. Yeah, because everything you described to me sounded like it was dissociation. Yeah, that's why I was asking. Did you do mm-hmm. you think you got to that or had that component of suggestibility? So wait, what what makes someone not hypnotizable or highly hypnotizable, if that's the way you put it? Yeah, there are two things. Um, based on American Society of Clinical Hypnosis, um, statistically speaking, um, something like five um, percent of normal population are not hypnotizable at all and 20% are highly hypnotizable, and 75% are somewhere in between. So it looks like it is something uh, we are born with. So if we are highly hypnotizable or or we are not hypnotizable at all, it doesn't change over time. Having said that, some conditions like depression or anxiety or something like that uh, can mask hypnotizability for a while. So for instance, if someone is experiencing major depression um, and you are not using any medication, you can't hypnotize them because they don't have concentration. But when they start their uh, antidepressant medication, after two weeks, they become to their level of hypnotizability and they can get hypnotized again. I somehow imagine Mark being of the 5%. Well, that's why I wanted to know, like, are there certain types of uh, personality traits or something along those lines that you yeah, know, are flags? There are some or... associations with uh, personality traits, for instance, um, not personality traits, more personality disorders like uh, hysterionic traits mm-hmm. and uh, antisocials. They are more um, in favor of uh, highly hypnotizability. But obsessive uh, personality disorders are less uh, hypnotizable, but it's not written on a stone. And some there are different schools of thoughts in hypnotherapy, and there is a school of thought um, by Melton Erickson. And in this specific school of thought, 100% of people are hypnotizable. So when I say 5% are not hypnotizable, that's the school of thought and based on the definition of American Society of Clinical Hypnosis. My point is, in some schools of thought, they would they say 100% of normal population are hypnotizable. It's just a matter of how hypnotizable they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I assume it probably has something to do with the state of mind you're in at the time. As you said, like um, bouts of depression or anxiety can sort of alter how hypnotizable somebody is. So I had mentioned to you my birth story with my first child. The second one, I didn't really I didn't really focus on the hypnobirthing. I didn't do any reading. I didn't take a class. I'd actually tried to sign up for one and it got canceled due to low enrollment. I guess not as many people are as interested in, in uh, hypnobirthing as I was. So the second labor that I had, 
I somehow wasn't able to achieve that dissociation. And I don't know if it's because I didn't really like study it before, or I don't know if it had something to do with my mindset going in. But my second labor, although much faster, was 7 million times more difficult and more painful. And I was not able Mm -hmm. to to achieve that same sort of state of calmness and like working with my body, I felt like I was really fighting. The first time I was very calm. I I wasn't yelling. I was very quiet. Whereas the second time, I mean, it was like a movie. I was swearing at the at the midwives mm-hmm. and at Mark and just it was not pretty good the times, second time. Good times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one explanation about that is um, because one of the definitions of hypnosis is hypnosis is the peak of trust. Maybe you you didn't trust the medical team in the second um, uh, in the second uh, hypnobirth comparing to the first one, and it's very hard to say anything because it's a multifactorial thing. But uh, my point is trust is a very important component in hypnosis. And one of the definitions of hypnosis is hypnosis is the peak of trust or peak of rapport. There is nothing more than that. Interesting. So how long have you been practicing hypnotherapy? Uh, Actually, I started reading about hypnosis when I was in medical school, when I was 18 or 19 years old, and I'm 40 years old. So I think 21 years old. Yeah. I've been practicing, studying and practicing hypnosis for about 20 years. What got you interested? The first time I just read a book about hypnosis, and then I realized that there is an association that um, they educate uh, family physicians about how to uh, apply hypnosis in their practice. And when I was in medical school, I joined them. The name of the association was uh, Iranian Scientific Society of Clinical Hypnosis. And I just uh, attended their seminars, courses. And then when I got my license and I opened my clinic, I applied hypnosis. I remember I started for uh, smoking cessation and I was very successful. So over time, um, I realized that uh, hypnosis clients are much uh, easier to handle comparing to other uh, clients. So when I left Iran, 95% of my clients or my patients were uh, coming for uh, hypnotherapy to my clinic. Aside from smoking cessation, what other types of patients were coming to you for hypnotherapy? My preference is medical things like asthma, um, tinnitus, uh, pruritus, like itching, skin disorders. I have had some experience with psoriasis, urinary retention, uh, and nausea and vomiting after chemotherapy. Uh, for short pain management, and specifically chronic pain. I'm not very fan of using hypnosis for acute pains. Uh, and uh, psychological um, conditions like anxiety disorders, uh, PTSD, and uh, eating disorders, anorexia nervosa, a wide spectrum of uh, conditions. So I don't know much about hypnotherapy. So this is what I'd love for you to do. Take me through what happens. Take me through our initial session together, the quick and dirty on that. Let's start with the mechanism of hypnosis and how hypnosis works. Mark, honestly, no one knows how hypnosis works. That's the truth. There are different, so there, there is no consensus about the definition of, of hypnosis. There are different schools of thought and there are different uh, mechanisms proposed um, to uh, mention what happens when someone gets hypnotized. Um, there are different um different uh, explanations. What I really like is a model called metacognition game. They say hypnosis is a metacognition game, and metacognition is a cognition about another cognition. 
Let me give you an example. Let's say you have a pinprick in your finger and you have a very simple cognition of pain. But it's not just that. There is a metacognition about that pain as well. The memories of that pinprick maybe goes back to your childhood and a very sophisticated metacognition is created in your brain and in your limbic system just by that simple cognition in your mind. So there are two things, a simple cognition of sharp pain and a very sophisticated metacognition. Hypnosis works with metacognition in a way that it overrides the small cognition. So it can play with metacognition so you can't feel the cognition of the simple sharp pain. Mm-hmm. That's one of the models I like. But there are other explanations about how hypnosis works. Um, but at the end of the day, nobody knows exactly how it works. But we know it works because the statistically speaking, it is evidence-based that there are clinical trials showing that group A, group B, one group is getting hypnosis, the other one are not. And there is a statistical um, significant difference between these two groups. Back to our question, when you come to a hypnosis sessions, a hypnotic session has uh, different phases. The first phase is induction. You just go to into trance, and there are different ways to induce uh, mm, mm, hypnosis. You close your eyes or you can keep your eyes open and you go to hypnosis. Then there are some deepening techniques, so your trance goes deep. And when you go deep, that's the main part of the session. It is suggestion. Let's say you are coming for anxiety or you are coming for smoking cessation or you are coming for pain management. Then there are specific scripts or specific suggestions for that condition that you receive. And that's the backbone of the session. And then um, you, we lighten the uh, trance and determinate the hypnosis. This is a classical hypnosis, but sometimes the hypnosis is not classical. It's just conversational. Uh, and there is no cutoff point. You don't close your eyes. And it's just like a psychotherapy session. It's just conversational. Then how is it different from a psychotherapy session? Like how, if, if it's, I, I'm just trying to picture it. I understand the classical hypnosis. If it's conversational, how do you know that the person has gone into a hypnotic state where they are suggestive or dissociative or whatever other characteristics they need to be? Honestly, psychotherapy is the child of uh, hypnosis. If you, you go through the history of um, psychotherapy, you will realize that um, psychotherapy is the child and it is born from hypnosis. If you focus on Freud. Freud was the guy who was uh, translating the book uh, Suggestive Therapeutics. And Suggestive Therapeutics is a very interesting textbook in hypnosis. So what I'm trying to say is, first of all, psychotherapy is born from hypnosis. And there are some overlaps. Sometimes it's very difficult to say that it is psychotherapy or this is hypnosis. or There, there is no cutoff point uh, between them. And uh, some psychotherapy techniques like free association. Free association is very, very similar to uh, hypnosis and and, uh, imagination and uh, guided imagery. And the reason Freud switched to free association, which is a very famous uh, psychotherapy technique, was he was believing that uh, not all people are hypnotizable. He was thinking maybe 30% or 40% of people are not hypnotizable. That's why he switched into um, free association and psychotherapy. And then later in life, he focused on sleeping because he said 
uh, yeah, maybe a sleeping and dreaming is the most, even it is more successful uh, than psychotherapy and free association. Back to your question, there is no cutoff point. Sometimes it's very hard to say it is uh, conversational hypnosis or it is psychotherapy. And sometimes the hypnosis is just, or conversational hypnosis is a platform to apply psychotherapy. You know, you can use psychotherapy in normal conditions, or you can add uh, psychotherapy on top of hypnosis, like psychoanalysis. And if you apply psychoanalysis on top of hypnosis as a platform, we call it hypnoanalysis. So hypnoanalysis is a very interesting topic in the field of hypnosis. Have you ever had a patient or client who was not hypnotizable, meaning like, did you ever have somebody come in and you weren't able to get anywhere with them with all of your your tactics or whatever it is that you do in an appointment? You know, it depends. It depends of how you define hypnosis. If you put self-declaration as benchmark, I would say the, um, the statistics from American Society of Clinical Hypnosis is very accurate. Five percent of uh, normal population are not hypnotizable at all. And at the end of the session, they would say we, we were not uh, hypnotized. But sometimes the definition of hypnot- hypnosis is different between the therapist and the subject or the client. The client wants to experience like out-of-body experience or 100 percent dissociation from the environment. They expect not to hear anything, which is not the case in most cases. As I said, 75% of normal population are not highly hypnotizable. There's somewhere in between. Hypnosis is incredibly fascinating to me. I'm not going to pretend I understand any of it. But as I said, with the small experience I had when I tried to sort of teach myself, I could imagine how it does work. I mean, as you said, nobody really knows how it works, but I can get on board with the fact that it does work. So when you came here to Ontario and you opened up your clinic, wait, wait, or took before over you the do clinic, massage, because I want to, I was, I was staying with hypnosis. Okay, sorry. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to ask when he came to Ontario and took over the franchise, did you continue practicing hypnotherapy? Yeah, actually I did. I kept uh, practicing hypnotherapy, but maybe once a week because I didn't have time to uh, do hypnosis a a lot. And honestly, the franchise owner was not happy that I uh, offered hypnosis in the clinic. So most of the time I was uh, offering hypnosis in another office and um, it was once a week because most of my time was uh, just managing the staff, dealing with um, complaints, uh, doing payroll. So I didn't uh, um, have time to deal with uh, hypnotherapy. But because it was my passion, I love hypnosis, I couldn't uh, give up uh, practicing hypnosis. And I wasn't uh, doing marketing. That's why I couldn't uh, attract a lot of clients. That was another reason. What I did was I tried to educate massage therapists to use hypnosis in their practice because um, I realized that it's a great opportunity for massage therapists because most of them have an hour with the client and there is a high level of trust between the therapist and the client. So I was like, it is a perfect environment to apply and add hypnosis on top of massage. Although that may be a little bit outside of our scope. That is outside of scope. Yeah. And I um, received different uh, responses, but I found something interesting because on CMTO website or College of Massage Therapists of Ontario website, they uh, recognize um, imagery techniques or guided imagery 
as a complementary modality. And a complementary modality means you can add that on top of massage, but you can't use that as an standalone method. And if you use that as a standalone method, it's not eligible for an insurance claim. But uh, yeah, hypnosis is a little bit different from guided imagery. At the same time, they are very similar. So I was trying to position hypnosis as a guided imagery. And right now I'm writing a book about uh, hypnosis for massage therapists, but for uh, regulatory each considerations, I prefer to use the word guided imagery uh, instead of hypnosis. So were there massage therapists who were interested in this idea of included including guided imagery into their practice? Uh, no, they didn't. They are um, they didn't, but they were they were just interested. They are very open to conversation and uh, two or three of them came to uh, my clinic, I, I mean, my other office, just to experience hypnosis. And one of them were suffering, uh, was suffering from anxiety. So she was using hypnosis for herself to cope with anxiety. And uh, she was highly hypnotizable. So she, uh, hypnosis helped her a lot. And she became interested and she was trying to learn hypnosis to apply, it takes a while. I was in the process of making trust with my RMTs and others. I was in the process of introducing that to uh, RMTs. And I think I didn't have enough time to um, attract their trust to try and add hypnosis. The other thing is, because it's a regulated industry, they are very concerned about um, CMTO and uh, regulatory uh, considerations. I think that was uh, one of the barriers. Yeah, 100%. Like I said, as soon as you said that, my mind went to the fact that that's outside of our scope of practice. And I think that it would be something that majority of massage therapists, if not all of them, would be wary of crossing that line yeah. because we really do have strict guidelines as to what we can and can't do within our scope of practice. And then even though those modalities that were mentioned earlier in Schedule A, uh, like guided imagery, you'd really have to go to bat to say that this is equivalent to it. Yeah, we'd have to mm -hmm. we'd have to really fight for that. But I would think it would be interesting to work in a clinic with somebody who offers hypnotherapy, yes. you know, to be able to provide somebody with both massage therapy and hypnotherapy, but with separate therapy. Exactly. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it just comes down to like confusing the general public at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's where the biggest problem would lie. Yeah. And I, and I think the name of hypnosis is uh, a little bit misleading. Maybe guided imagery or um, um, suggestive therapeutic or um, equi equi equivalent of these uh, terms is a better substitution for hypnosis. For some reasons, people are... Um, are not happy with the word hypnosis because of, uh, I think, because of the Hollywood movie. Yeah, because I picture myself lying down on a leather couch while you have a pocket watch swinging in front of my face <laughs> and yeah. I'm tracking it with exactly. my eyes back and forth until you snap and tell me I'm sleeping. Well, I don't even know if it's just the yeah. name. Like you said, hypnosis, if it, if what you're saying is true, that hypnosis is like the child of psychotherapy, or sorry, psychotherapy is the child of hypnosis. I mean, even as massage yeah. therapists, although all of our patients and clients want to tell us everything about their life and all their problems and you know they treat us like we're psychotherapists we're not and we're all very quick to tell people you know that isn't within my scope of practice if you look at a massage therapist scope of practice it really is just the assessment and treatment of uh, soft tissue we don't work with you know yes we're affecting people psychologically physiologically etc cetera, etc cetera, but when we say what we're treating it's soft tissue that's it 
we don't we don't get into any type of psychotherapy. So to even use the words guided imagery, as Mark said, we'd really have to have a very, very strong argument for it. And I, I still don't think it would fly. Yeah, that's true. I did want to ask you a question, though, because when we were talking at the beginning that no one knows why hypnosis works. And then you also suggested that there are several different models or concepts as to why it works. And then you've latched on to this particular one that you're a fan of. Tell me why you went down the path of the model that you subscribe to it working. And I don't know what the other ones are either. Maybe you can tell us what some of those other ones are and then tell us what why metacognition is is your thing? Yeah, um, honestly, I don't know why I resonated with metacognition the best, but um, uh, I think because of the practicality of uh, metacognition. Let's say for um, for instance for analgesia or for uh, using hypnosis as a painkiller, it's um, you really realize that when you use hypnosis as a painkiller. You feel that uh, the subject is still feeling um, pain in another level. That's why I think it's maybe it's not ethical to apply hypnosis for acute pain because you just mask the pain. You feel the patient is suffering from the pain, but you just mask the surface of the pain because you're playing with metacognition while the cognition is still in place. When you experience hypnosis a lot and when you see uh, people under hypnosis, you feel that this mechanism works the best. Um, the other models about uh, hypnosis, the other mechanisms about hypnosis is maybe hypnosis can uh, change the signals that come um, to the brain um, in some uh, micro um, synopsis level, in micro synopsis level, or hypnosis uh, and mindfulness create some synaptogenesis. Neural pathways, they are just theories. We don't, we are, they are not documented. We don't know if there is a new neural pathway actually created under hypnosis because there's a controversy that is hypnosis a separate state of uh, uh, mind or consciousness or not? Because if someone is sleeping, the electro, uh, the EEG is very specific. So you can say that someone is sleeping, but under hypnosis, there is no specific EEG finding, and there is no um, there is no evidence that hypnosis is a separate state of uh, consciousness or a state of mind. Back to your question, I think the practicality because it matches the reality, uh, the metacognition game. It explains a lot of um, situations. That's why I uh, like this model. But sometimes this model doesn't work as well. I'm not sure if I answered your question. Let me give you an example, another example for metacognition, maybe it clarifies the situation. Have you ever experienced that you know the name of an actor or, or actress? Uh, you know that you know the name, but you don't remember the All name. The time. <laughs> yeah, this is the this is the example of you. So you know that you know the name. This is the metacognition, or is the cognition about another cognition? But the simple cognition is the name of that that actor. Let's say the actor name is uh, uh, Bruce Willis. So Bruce Willis is uh, the cognition, but you know the name, and that's the metacognition. But don't, you don't remember the name. It's like hypnosis. In hypnosis, you don't play with the actual content or the actual cognition. You play with the metacognition, and it affects or impacts the metacognition. So at the end of the day, it's a game. It's a mind game. The, with this 
um, a school of thought in hypnosis. You should see our faces right now. We're both just like, whoa. Because, because, <laughs> I, because I want to I know something and I, I want to ask it, but I don't want to seem like a 12-year-old boy who watches way too many cartoons. Well, now you have to ask it and you are like a 12-year-old boy who watches way too many cartoons. <laughs> Can this be used for evil? Uh, there, there is a myth around hypnosis that people um, lose their control under hypnosis. That's not true. Even in deepest uh, hypnosis, you have control uh, over all your emotions, all your behavior. But uh, some hypnotherapists say that that's not true. So in deep hypnosis, you don't have control over your uh, control sometimes. So yeah, it can be used for evil. There is a a video, I think it's in Quebec, that someone is using hypnosis to uh, get rid of a police officer. It starts with uh, two guys, and one of them is a hypnotherapist. Not a hypnotherapist, a stage hypnotist. And the guy says, okay, now I just drive over limit. And when the uh, police officer stops me, I try to hypnotize him and um, we can escape. And then... Yeah, I think you can Google it on YouTube. I can send you the link. Yeah, Google it. It's uh, Quebec police officer hypnotist or something like that. And it pops up. Oh my God. It's very popular in YouTube. And the guy is using a conversational hypnosis technique with the guy, with the police officer, and the police officer let them go. It's amazing. And it's, yeah, it's uh, frightening at the same time. So, yeah, unfortunately, it can be used. if it's not in uh, good I can't hands. help it. I have to part? say, what? I have to say, what? with great power comes great responsibility. You're such a nerd. <laughs> I was more like, these aren't the droids you're looking for. Yeah. <laughs> We're both both (laughs) nerds. What can I say? Well, this is a good segue, though, into what you and I have been discussing via email since COVID-19 became a thing. And we all had to close our doors because as we talked about at the beginning, when you and I first talked after this, you were not in a good place mentally because you were like, how am I going to pay all these staff? How am I going to keep my doors open? What am I going to do? And then shortly after that, you sent me an email saying, I've just come up with a new business plan. And so (laughs) let's talk about that. What what's your idea? Because I got to be honest with you, you sent me the link to the website. And I didn't totally understand yet. But I decided not to ask you any questions. Because (laughs) that's what the podcast is for. What is this new business concept you've come up with now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was trying actually I'm trying to copy the clinic business model. But this time 100% online. So with the experience I had during the last year with managing therapists, I'm trying to recruit uh, online self-care service providers and reach out to my clientele. I have something like 6,000 clients. So I'm trying to reach out to them and say, look, the clinic is closed. Now we have online self-care providers and they can offer services to you online. So what types of online services are you guys offering right now? Initially, I tried to um, add uh, imagery or imaginary massage or virtual massage. But um, honestly, there there was not a lot of uh, positive feedback from the RMTs. That's why I switched into um, other service providers like yoga instructors, meditation uh, specialists, uh, dietitians, and whatever is related to self-care. And self-care has four pillars in my mind, uh, physical, uh, emotional, spiritual, and social. 
So because of COVID-19 and social distancing, we need more self-care. That's the whole idea. Okay, I have to go back to the virtual massage, virtual massage because, yeah. well, for a couple of reasons. I mean, we've already talked would, about what that would look like. I'm, I'm getting there. Okay, okay. We need to know what it's going to look like. Yeah. But we've already talked about in terms of regulatory things. RMTs right now have a very strict directive in Ontario that we can't do that. We can't work. We can't bill for services like that. So I understand the pushback that you were getting from RMTs because basically we are just being told, no, you can't. So what was your idea with imagery or imaginary, whatever the word was that you used, massage? How were you planning to offer massage online? Yeah, I think uh, as an illustration, I tried to uh, record a video and I actually put the video on the front uh, page of self-care community. If you go to selfcarecommunity.ca, down the page, there is a YouTube video and in that video, I went to the clinic and uh, I used the device. It's an electromyogram de- device. It's from Brazility Health. And I put the electrode on my trapezius muscle. And one of my therapists, actually, she is, uh, she is, she is my acupuncturist. She tried uh, to give me a virtual massage. And in real time, I was broadcasting the electrical activity of the muscle uh, to the video. And as you see after, I think it's 10 minutes or so, after 10 minutes, my, the electrical activity of muscle comes down 25% or so. So the whole idea is just uh, giving massage through visualization. Oh my God. <laughs> That's like literally yeah, the it, only thing I could say. Our job as RMTs, it consists of touching people. So the thought of this is so mind boggling to me. I, I don't think that um, it couldn't work. I don't think that, you know, imagery and visualization, all those things couldn't work. In fact, I preach them in a lot of the courses that I teach. But again, as a massage therapist, I would feel like I wasn't giving my clients 100% if I'm not touching them. A big part of what we do is touch. It's touching people. And I know right now we're not allowed to, but yeah, I couldn't imagine not not actually physically treating somebody. I don't know, Mark, what do you think? Am I crazy? Like (laughs) that sounds insane to me. (laughs) Yeah, I hear you. Touch is the main thing. But the question is, is touch just physical and tactile? Sometimes sometimes touch is not uh, physical. It's not tactile. I agree with you in terms of the touch component. But what I'm trying to say is touch is not just physical and tactile. It can be verbal and mental. An emotion. Okay, well, I'm just talking about the physical and tactile part. (laughs) Because (laughs) I I understand that there's so much more to what we do. And I wouldn't even attempt to devalue RMTs and say that it's just about touch. Because if that's all it was, you could get your partner or anybody to offer the touch. It's a whole combination of our knowledge, our experience, um, the intent behind the touch, the touch, the, you know, the as you said, the spiritual part, the, all of it, I, I get it. But you cannot eliminate the physical and tactile touch. I, I just feel like yeah. that has to be there in order to fully give the clients what they need. But I mean, in this period of time where we're not allowed to touch people, I admire the yeah. fact that you were trying to find another way. Like, how can we do this? How can we offer people treatments and deal with their issues and deal with their conditions and deal with their pain when we can't touch them? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. The full experience is for sure a physical touch. And the only reason was 
the, the social distancing that I try to introduce this method. And I just want to emphasize that the power of visualization because it is evidence-based that uh, visualization sometimes is um, equal or uh, even better comparing to uh, actual rehearsals. For instance, in sports medicine, there are some evidences showing that um, basketball players who are practicing and rehearsing through uh, visualization have the performance equal or even better comparing to those players who are uh, rehearsing in an actual place. 100%. That I agree with you. There is a ton of evidence to say that visualization, when it comes to uh, creating new neural pathways and practicing, when it comes to sporting events and you know things like that, practicing a skill, that visualization can be even more powerful because, again, your brain doesn't care if you're actually doing the activity or if you're just thinking about it. But when it comes to touch, I don't think anything can actually replace, even when it comes to energy transfer. And I know some people are already rolling their eyes. I can hear you. I can hear your eyes rolling. It's fine. But hear someone's eyes roll. Because you just can. <laughs> gotcha. You just can. And I, again, I, I admire what you were trying to do and I'm all for it. But I can also say that I really hope after this entire pandemic that RMTs can get back to touching people because there is absolutely nothing that is going to replace another human physical contact on your body. There just isn't anything that will replace that. I've heard that the College of Physiotherapists is uh, offering um, uh, tele-rehab for MVA during the COVID-19 era. My financial advisor had an MVA claim a couple of months ago and she called he called me and told me yeah my physiotherapist has sent me an email and telling me from March 20 he's uh, able to offer me a yep. tele rehab i'm not sure what exactly tele rehab is yeah there are certain there are certain uh, healthcare yeah, providers that, that are allowed to offer telehealth yeah as mark said as a kinesiologist he can do that yeah. um, massage mm -hmm. therapists have been advised no we cannot offer telehealth services whatever we're being advised to do is what we've got to do and so for massage therapists that means I don't, you know, I don't know what that means, honestly. It's very confusing right now. I don't know if we can do really much of anything other than keep in contact with our clients, try to keep in good spirits. Most RMTs right now are posting videos of self care and uh, remedial exercise and basically just doing a lot of shit for free to keep people happy because we don't know what else to do right now with ourselves. Just a quick question. When, when we say RMTs uh, are not allowed to uh, do virtual massage, do we? mean they can, they allow to do that, but it's not eligible for an insurance claim? Or if they do that, their license is in danger? I think it might be both. Um, I'm pretty mm -hmm. certain, and I would have to go back and read all of the literature with, from the CMTO, which I haven't done, but I'm pretty certain that the CMTO is, um, like people are reporting therapists to the CMTO who are um still working virtually in some capacity. Like, I don't think that's allowed mm -hmm. at all. And definitely insurance companies would not accept the claims. Like that I know for sure. But in terms of whether the our license would be in danger, I, I think that the CMTO is actually contacting therapists who they're suspecting are working virtually in some way. Mm -hmm. am, I, am I right? Am I wrong, Mark? There's only one scenario in which I can see that you have an argument with the college about doing anything virtually. And that would be if a if if you have a well documented treatment plan that involved a lot of remedial exercise, and in those scenarios, 
you can bill those as massage therapy because it's part of a massage therapy treatment plan and that can be done virtually so that's the only scenario in which i can see that can fly and you would have to have that well documented that remex is a huge part of your massage therapy treatment yeah yeah that's true um and i assume in provinces that uh, massage is not regulated like uh, nova scotia uh, they are more flexible i assume i'm not sure massage therapy associations not so not the associations that are mixed body workers but the ones that are strictly massage therapy associations they model whatever their association is and the the breakdown of their association and the inner workings after the regulated colleges yeah majority of provinces mm-hmm. model uh, after Ontario. So whatever we're doing, they're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. So yeah, it looks like I have to forget about uh, massage therapists uh, as vendors for self-care community during pandemic. So have you decided during this time of the pandemic, have you decided that you're just going to give up on the idea of what you were doing and try to start this entire virtual online business? Or is this just a side project until you can open the clinic again? Uh, yeah, I think it's a temporary thing, hopefully. But it honestly, it depends on how long the pandemic uh, lasts. I've heard that it can be 12 months to 18 months, which is not unrealistic. And uh, honestly, if it lasts 12 or or 18 months, I can't survive. I can't just keep paying rent to the landlord and paying the bills um, for 12 months. So if it is two or three months, um, I can survive. But if it is more than six months, uh, honestly, I can't survive and I can't reopen the clinic. Um, So the alternative, the other alternative is uh, in-home service. Honestly, uh, before closing the clinic, I was in the process of uh, trying a pilot project to offer mobile services to my clientele. That was very successful. The clients were super happy. The RMTs were super happy. But unfortunately, the project was stopped uh, due, due to pandemic. So another alternative is if you go to salescarecommunity.ca, you see there is a comp- there is a um, there's a section in the middle of the page about uh, in-home services, in-home massage yeah, services, I did, which is I not did active right now. I did click on the link that you sent me, and I see that right now, because of the pandemic, your in-home services page is is halted. It's We can't offer you anything in-home right now. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's a more realistic uh, possibility in future, uh, unless there is a rent... Uh, commercial rent uh, aid, financial aid from the government. They are talking about that, but I haven't seen anything yet. So it's it's very, it's a very complex situation, but uh, I think back to your question, self-care community is something temporary, but uh, if COVID-19 lasts for 12 months, self-care community would be at least the in-home service, in-home massage service would be the permanent thing, and I can't, I will not be able to open the clinic, and I have to uh, leave the lease agreement with the landlord. This is such a weird time because nobody really knows how long it's going to last. So I'm always torn between, you know, are people, you know, making decisions too quickly right now and, you know, coming up with all of these alternative plans because they don't know where they're going or, you know, should they be waiting it out to see how long it's going to, like, I'm, I'm so torn on what is the right move right now is, because I don't no think right there move. is a right move right now. It, it all depends on you yeah. and the type of person you are. Like, so for example, me, I'm sitting pretty, I'm not worried about anything. And, uh, the only reason why I can do that is because I can adapt really quick, make decisions really fast and move in a certain way 
really quick. So I'm happy just to sit back and not do anything and not try to create yeah. a whole plan that may never, I may, I may never need or never want to do, or I just did it out of desperation. I'd rather just sit back and wait, but that's also because I adapt quick and I make decisions fast. Yeah. yeah. I think that's the best approach just to sit back and wait. And, uh, but, um, as you said, it's a matter of uh, personality type. Yeah. My personality type is just to do this, do that, and I'm suffering from creativity. So I have to do uh, my own uh, thing. But I agree with you. This is not the best approach. I think that if I could, if I could, uh, maybe the best approach would be just sitting. Back. No, it's not. It's it's not that. It's not that it's a bad approach at all. It's just not for me. There's definitely some people that that need yeah. to do that planning. One hundred percent. There are people right now who are revising their entire business and plan. That's, nothing's and, wrong with that. You know, that's for a example, good idea. Yeah, we we own a continuing education company. As you know, you came to our networking event, Conant Institute, and. There's a lot of continuing education providers right now that are trying to move their entire um, their entire business online. Yeah. We haven't we haven't gotten there yet because our courses are really much better in person. And if we don't have to move everything it's, online, it's I'm, also, we don't want to do it. The other part of that, to be honest mm-hmm. with you, I don't know. For me, it just feels like it's. I feel like it's in poor taste. That's just me. I'm, I, if you got your courses and you're switching them online and you know you see the opportunity, to, uh, good on you. But for me, I just don't feel good about it. I feel like it takes advantage a little bit for people that are sitting around and they don't know what to do. Yes, it's giving them something that is, is highly useful. In poor taste to market time, it right now. I'm talking about the people who are just I, deciding I know, to I move know. their courses online for even you know the ones that are being run you know, in the fall or the winter of this year, they're already pushing them to be online because we don't know how long social distancing is going to last. It's just me. It's a great idea. It's a great business move. I just don't feel good about it. So uh, that's not what I'm going to do. Yeah. Plus we like Mm -hmm. to see people. We like to have people in our classroom and I don't know, I'm either an optimist or um, I don't know, a daydreamer. You can decide. But I think we are going to be able to get back to some version of social life in of this world. We will. And I, I want to, I, I want to go back to offering the courses in the way that we've always done them and providing the same educational experience we've always had. So I don't really want to change the model that we operate under. It doesn't need to change. Exactly. Until the nature, it needs to change. The nature of our job doesn't change. Exactly. Right? So we're dealing with a population of mm-hmm. people that this is what we do. We are with people all the time. Yeah. And so that includes the want or the need of in-class courses is to be with people. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you 100%. And there is something magical in in-person meeting. I don't know what, but it is um, very different from virtual meeting. Yeah. I've met I've met you once for maybe two hours or so, but I feel connected to you. But uh, I've talked to a lot of people that I've never seen, but I can't feel connected. There is something magical. There is something uh, we we can't explain about in person meeting. I'm so happy you said magical. By the way, I just have to tell this story. It has nothing to do with massage therapy or Does anything. That to do with unicorns? No. Okay, you, asking, you, were, you were sitting there today. I don't even know how you don't remember this, but it was adorable. Okay. Our six, almost six-year-old daughter um, said something to me today. I can't remember what she said, 
but I said to her, oh, you're just magical or something like that. And she said, you called me magical, even though I don't actually do magic and I'm not magical. And so I was trying to explain (laughs) to this not even six-year-old child what I meant when I used the adjective of magical to describe her. And it was it was really hard to do, actually. I was like, man, I need to get better at this uh, parenting thing right now. Like, how do you explain to a six-year-old what I mean when I say you're magical? This is how you explain it. This is how you explain it. When you see someone do a magic trick and at the end, how does that make you feel? That feeling is magical. Where were you six hours ago when I needed that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say um, the best thing, the best definition of magic is by Richard Bandler. He has a book called A Structure of Magic. It's about NLP or neuro-linguistic programming. And I think that book is amazing. And uh, if you or one of the listeners have time, it's a great time to go to Richard Bandler's All we have is time. The Structure of Magic. (laughs) All we have is time. So yeah, maybe we can just review that book together and the next uh, podcast would be about magic. And what does magic mean? And what does magical mean? And how to explain that to our children? How does he describe magic in this book? I need to know. Yeah, (laughs) It's about uh, linguist. This book is about linguistic and uh, the perception. I think Richard Bander is a kind of uh, um, realist. Uh, philo- he, he's following a kind of realist philosophy. My assumption is he sees the. I think uh, Mark will not like this part, but sees the word as a matrix. I was listening to the other podcast you had about conspiracy theory, <laughs> and the lady was talking about uh, the matrix, and I could imagine Mark was laughing. Maybe, <laughs> uh, so. Uh, back to your question, everything is about perception. So what we perceive is the magic, and there is no um, actual reality beyond the magic. Uh, that's the definition of magic. Magic is just our perception, and uh, we can change the perception. And there is no uh, reality beyond magic, and there is no uh, absolute uh, solid reality beyond our perception. That's the definition of magic, our perception. And because we can change the perception, the perception is not something solid. Um, Everything is magical and everything is just an illusion. All right. You're going to have to explain that to my (laughs) six-year-old. Good luck to you. <laughs> yeah, so I was not expecting to talk about illusions and uh, magic in this Well, it's it's podcast. interesting that you brought up NLP because Mark has been interested in that for a long time, so we might have to do another episode. Yeah, maybe. maybe. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. And honestly, NLP is a great thing to be combined with hypnosis, specifically for um, PTSD, because in PTSD, an image um, is hurting the uh, patient. So we, you try to apply NLP techniques like making the image black and white, make it smaller, make it larger. And then you want to describe the feelings and emotions while they are uh, playing with the image. Well, my point is uh, NLP is a great uh, combination with hypnosis, back to hypnosis conversation. So yeah, we can have a conversation. About you realize NLP. though, like I just want to use all these powers for evil right? <laughs> <laughs> and take over the world. No, you don't. You're way too lazy to take over the world. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm thinking about every villain in every cartoon that I've ever seen. Oh, my God. This one thing this uh, lockdown has done is made me realize that I actually married, you know, like the the 
guy that I had a crush on when I was 12 years old because Mark is still that guy. He wants to watch like old like <laughs> Scooby-Doo and G.I. Joe and we're watching a lot of retro <laughs> cartoons while being locked down. <laughs> and I make a lot of cool shit with basic That's so Lego. Cool. Oh yeah, a lot of Lego. He, You know what? He, you are very <laughs> talented, sir, yeah. with the Lego. <laughs> <laughs> the things that we have been doing to keep ourselves entertained. Well, in your case, because you have a different philosophy than we do, and it's not to say that you're right and we're wrong or we're right and you're wrong. We're just doing what yeah. we got to do to survive right now. Why don't you take this opportunity to give people the link? I know we've brought it up a few times, but officially give people the link if they are interested in looking at what you're doing now, your new business model, and sure. if they want to inquire about some of the services you're Offering. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, the link is uh, www.selfcarecommunity.ca. And uh, from there, you can just have access to YouTube, uh, Instagram, and Facebook page and LinkedIn page about. And I just post all the interviews uh, down there. Very cool. Uh, Mark, is there anything else that we need to talk to Reza about tonight? No, man, this has been fun. This has been this has been good times. Yeah, you were fun to talk to. I feel like we've been Thank recording you. a lot of episodes lately. And just because of what's going on, a lot of them are very heavy. But I feel like although during a heavy time, we, we had a pretty lighthearted conversation tonight, which was nice. Okay, awesome. Yeah, I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much. Have you ever been hypnotized? <laughs> yeah, we can do it maybe online sometime tomorrow. But have you? Like, for, for real, I'm asking you, have you ever been hypnotized? Yeah. I, yeah, actually, I, I think every uh, hypnosis is self-hypnosis. So uh, I'm, I, I self-hypnotize myself every day. Every That's the everything I do in the morning. Wow. Yeah, there are two ways to, for self-hypnosis. You can just self-hypnotize yourself like you are hypnotizing somewhere, someone else or you someone, uh, maybe another hypnotist hypnotizes you and there is a keyboard or something that you can flash back to that hypnosis. I'm hypnotized uh, something like 10 years ago with uh, another colleague of mine. And it is still working. So when I use this specific ritual, which is sitting down on a comfortable chair, taking three deep breaths, and I just go back to that depth of hypnosis. Wow. So, yeah, I self-hypnotize myself every day to focus on what I want to do. And sometimes it, it it ends up with meditation. Sometimes hypnosis and meditation have some overlap. So it becomes uh, a guided meditation. Back to your question, yeah, I, I self-hypnotize myself. I'm highly hypnotizable. And maybe that's why I'm interested in hypnosis. Well, you, I you listened hypnosis. to our podcast with Ravinder, who was the, uh, she was the Conspiracy Theory podcast. And um, yeah. the way that I met her is her and I used to work together and she does energy work. And as you heard in the podcast, she does this virtually, you know, on a telephone call, a Zoom call. And, you know, she can tap into people's energy, even if she's not with them in the room. Can you do, I assume, based on the fact that you have this new this new business concept with the selfcare.ca, can you hypnotize people that you're not actually physically in a room with? Yeah, you can do that. Yeah, because it's a matter of words and linguistics. So, yeah, I think you can do that over the phone. And actually, I do that because, honestly, most of my clientele is in Vancouver because I've been living in Vancouver for seven years. So most of my active clients are in Vancouver. So I try to... Um, use Zoom or sometimes phone for uh, conversational hypnosis or 
maybe classical hypnosis. I think, yeah, it's quite possible. Wow. Because it's a matter of words. It's a matter of suggestion, and it can happen over the phone for sure. Well, since I'm highly hypnotizable, not now, because that would be awkward since people are going to be listening to this, but one time, <laughs> maybe I will see if we can do a session over the phone and see if you can hypnotize me. Sure. Yeah, we can we can have a group hypnosis. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Listen, to Mark's like, no, 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 no. no, no. You guys just took it two steps too far. <laughs> okay. Oh my god. Well, anyway, I don't want to take up any more of your time, Reza. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast tonight. It was really fun. Thank you so much for having me. Right on. You guys have been listening to two massage therapists in a microphone, Bruce.